Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and on YouTube. Joining me for not the very typical Tuesday night record, Wednesday release episode, where we break down all things football and all things in the world of sports. We got another guest with us on the tu- on the Wednesday episode, and we have some news to talk about with Steve Nash being out as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. So joining me on today's episode none other than Pat Boyle. Pat, what's up, my guy? Pete, we got a lot of news to break down. We've got we're two weeks into hoops. We are nine weeks into the NFL. We got college basketball around the corner. Dude, it's a, it's a good time to be alive right now. I'll tell you that much. And we got a Drake and a 21 Savage coming album coming out soon. So Wow. You just hurt my brain when you said college basketball, honestly. I don't know. If you guys are watching on YouTube, you saw me just have like a spaz attack. That's because I can't mentally wrap my head around college hoops being on yet. For more things for me to try to watch and keep up with it's already too overwhelming also here though to talk things all things basketball nets football everything cody o'connor back again what's up guy pat you almost stole my thunder there last time i came on i told you it's one of the best times in the sports calendar and it's living right up to the hype we're starting with basketball i feel like i'm getting a promotion i get to come in talk football with you guys couldn't be more excited. It's a great time of the year. Like you said, Pat, what a time to be alive. If all jobs promoted as quickly as Subway Sports Talk, the world would be a better place. You know, uh, just a couple good outings by you. And you got bumped from, you know, the AAA bullpen right up to the major league. You know, you're our sixth starter, spot starter now. You know, shut, shut it, shut down guy in the seventh, eighth. He can go three innings if he has to. You're just pulling them all out, all the tricks. And baseball is also happening. It, in the midst of all those things we mentioned before, the Phillies are about to take a 2-1 lead on the Houston Astros, which makes about 92% of the country happy, I'd say. Is that fair? Fair number? What do you think about that? Yeah, but I think we're all in the eight. Is that Honestly, wait. Yeah, I think of the people in this world who are, are pro-Astros or at least like not super anti-Astros, we might be in that percent. Are we all in that, Pat? Are you in that percentage? I'm rooting for Philly in this one. But are you, are you team like, F the Astros. Um, like at this point in time, obviously, like when they actually cheated, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at this point, they're they're easy to hate. So yeah, I'd say fuck them. Mm. I find teams that are easy to hate sometimes easy to get behind because there's nothing better than when everybody's like, "Oh fuck this team, I hate this, they they suck, oh scumbags." Well, for me to be like, "Nah, you know what?" Alex Bregman, kind of dope. <laughs> Peach, you got your classic, uh, like, team dynasty, you know, pendulum and how it swings. Right. So when a team starts to first become a dynasty, they're new. You, you love them. You root for them. Then they win a second title in, like, the span of four or five years. And you're like, okay, that's, that's enough. Give us somebody else. Then they win a third. Or at least in the Astros' case, they're in a third. So at that point, and especially, like, Golden State Warriors, when LeBron went to Miami – the Yankee empire of the early 2000s, late 90s. Once you win three, people start to get sick of you. And then if you get a, you win a fourth, you get to a fourth, then it's almost like enough people, so many people hate them. And it's like, all right, well, you got to admire the beauty. You got to admire the greatness to a certain degree. 
I feel like I got there with Golden State after KD left. Maybe that was mostly the reason, but um, I can see why people, like, you know, how you just said, would get there with Houston now. 100%. The first year after the cheating scandal, when they were still good, I wanted them to win just because I thought it would be funny. Honestly, that was really the reason. I didn't I remember you saying that. Yeah, I was like, I just kind of like chaos. I like when there's chaos in baseball because people talk about it. And most of the time, people don't talk about it. People are talking about it right now because the Astros are in it, frankly, right? The Phillies are a great story. If they were playing some regular-ass team that's not the Astros and not the Yankees, like not some larger-than-average team, like if they're playing the Twins or, or some team of that ilk, no one cares. Everyone's like, oh, Philly's cool. That's fun. Bryce Harper, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's over, gone. Right now, there's actually a chance for them to have some sort of like electricity in this season, in this series. And it's because people hate the Astros. You need hate to make leagues exciting. That's why when everyone said, oh, the Warriors and and, uh, and Cavs, like, I'm over it, blah, blah, blah. No, you weren't. People just lie to themselves constantly with that stuff because that the numbers, the proof's in the pudding. The numbers tell the whole story. The most watched finals in such a long time before and after and everybody, no matter what, either was a Stephen Warriors guy or a KD hater or a LeBron guy or a LeBron hater, everybody was on a side. And what you don't want in sports is people to just be like, you know, I'm just happy to be here, right? Like not most sports can't live off that. The NFL is really the only sport that can live off that because it is, it is the king sport. It is the best sport in the world. Sundays are, are holy for a reason. Cody, what do you think about that topic? Anything to add? I mean, look, I've been over the Astros scandal for a while, especially when they keep making it back. Like they're proving that they're just a good team, good organization, maybe the best run in baseball right now. But we were talking pre-show like it's about the fans you have in your life. That's where you end up rooting for or against. And like, you know, quick brag here, but I've got a lot of friends from the Philly area from college and whatnot. And so all of them together, I, I can't let them have this happiness while I'm sitting here miserable about the Mets. They can't have that over me. And they're yeah. going to get it. Like, it does feel like a team of destiny. So I'm rooting against them. However, I've been responsibly uh, betting them. And so I'm kind of emotionally hedging with my money there. So, And, my and, and Cody and Pete, I know you guys don't need me to tell you that you had the Braves in 21. You had the Nats in 19. They might have the Phillies in 22. You're right, Pat. You didn't need to tell me that. Mm-hmm. I know. I didn't need to tell you. I, I just wanted to make sure that you're aware of how much I'm hearing that. And so I just wanted to make sure you've heard it at some point here over the last couple of weeks now. And then who knows? I mean, maybe Jeter finally figures out that he wants to win with the Marlins and maybe they win it next year. I mean, that <laughs> that would be pretty funny. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> that was not where I expected you to go. But I do have a spin zone take for you, Pat. Here's my spin zone. All okay. Yankee fans want to say all the time is, oh, we're in the best division in baseball. Well, we play this hard schedule because our division is so hard. I, I don't want to hear it when our division has the rings in the last five years, bro. We got it. We got the hardware. We are out here. We had more. We had the most top tier teams in the, in the league this year in the NL East. I don't care that the worst team in the ALEs had a better record than the worst team in our division, but the, the Mets Braves and Phillies were all awesome. Can't say that about the ALEs. I'm saying, listen, it's hard out here in the best division in baseball. It's not going to be easy. 
But guess what? When the Mets win theirs in two years, we're going to say without a doubt that the NL East is the best division in baseball. And these Yankee fans won't have any more backings because the Rays always beat them. Uh. You know, that was a beautiful way to, you know, kind of compose a, an excuse there. Oh, the division's just so good, man. That's, that's why the Mets haven't won. That's the division. So you're not buying my spin zone there? No, not really. I mean, it is, it is impressive. Like, you got to look at it. Like, I don't know. I feel like we go by divisions on a year-on-year basis. At least the thing I think about most of when you talk about divisions is football. I feel like that sets itself apart just a little bit more than baseball. And the fact that there's so much parity in football, I feel like year-to-year, I don't know, the NFC East was so terrible, and now all of a sudden it's great. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like in baseball it's a little bit harder to kind of clump teams together in their divisions and, you know, rank them or talk about them as a group. Yeah, I agree. But I hate when the Yankee fans like, we play in the hardest division of baseball. Like, your record's not even that impressive. I'm just like, yo, shut up. We have more World Series in the last couple of years. Now, now I'm rooting for the Phillies all of a sudden. Now I spin-zoned myself into oblivion. Anyways, we got other stuff to talk about. Let's talk about Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, Steve Nash now out as head coach in Brooklyn. We also are going to touch on a couple other NBA hot items that we want to touch on very quickly before we hammer home all the NFL stuff we have to touch on, including all the big moves from the trade deadline, what that means for those teams, the teams around them, as Pat just mentioned, uh, in division stuff. Some of these teams now, like the Dolphins, for example, or the Ravens, for example, have they separated themselves within their division, within, within their conferences, to assure themselves a better road to the playoffs? We will discuss all of that, as well as a quick recap on our picks, which shout out to the boys. Combined, 11-4, and four, the first week of the year where all three of us had winning weeks. 4-1 and one for myself, 4-1 and one for Mark Shanlugan, 3-2 and two for Pat Boyle, who had a 4-1 and one just two weeks ago. Don't let the boys get hot. Listen, 49-71 and 71 is not a record to write home about. We know this. We're aware. But guess what? We're climbing in the right direction. Week 9, picks coming later in the week. So, now it's time to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, talk about Steve Nash and the search for a head coach here in Brooklyn. They also lost to the Bulls after Zach Levine exploded on Tuesday night. So, Cody, I want to go to you first just because I feel like you've been leading a lot of the discussion about the Nets with Shen in our group chat here. And before we let Pat kind of go off on it, what was your reaction to this firing? I felt maybe it was like shocking because it's always shocking, but not surprising in the least. So what did you feel when you saw the news knowing it could happen any day, but never knowing when it actually would happen? Yeah. And it's funny. It it came off a win actually. Um, But maybe they decided, Hey, like we look this close to the Pacers. Maybe something's got to change. It it feels like, like you said, it's been a long time coming. That's how I felt like it's about time. They've been running out the same thing for a year plus I feel like we've had this discussion. I don't know if it's been all of us or if it was like me and Pat, but I've been kind of asking for Steve Nash's job for over a year now because this team has completely underperformed, under underachieved their expectation. They're way too talented to be this middle of the pack. Last year they had the play in for you know the play in for their lives, and then they get swept in Boston. And it's just a team that to me has done every single small thing wrong. For a year plus, all of the little things, just simple stuff, boxing out, 
defensive rotations, something like just setting a screen and having your feet set. It feels like they do all of those things wrong and they add up and they add up and they add up. And where else do you look but your coaching staff? They're not an under-talented team. You have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Your expectation is we're looking to compete for a championship. That's what the Nets' expectation was. And we were on – this is you know a throwback because I feel like you haven't done it in a while, Pat, but I came on Boyle and Shen after they demolished the Bucks in game two of round two and looked like an unstoppable team before that injury. And since that time, seemingly since I you know came on and sang their praises – they have been just a dumpster fire. Pat, you've been all over this. I know you're ready to just kind of kill them right now. I think they had to make the move. I'm glad they did. I don't know it fixes everything, but God, you had to try something. You can't just keep running this out the same way anymore. No, you could you couldn't have, man. And <clears throat> uh, I don't know. I do I do take a lot of pleasure in, in kind of like watching this roller coaster go off the tracks here for the last three years. I mean, I, I say it again and again. This comes back to this was Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's bed that they made, and they're going to have to sleep in it until, for better or for worse, and as bad as this gets, there's going to be a breaking point where – and there was a breaking point, obviously. The height of it was this past summer when Kevin Durant has to be traded, and Kyrie Irving resigns, you think, all is well, and then KD literally two days later says, you know what, no, I want out, and then said, fire Steve Nash – and fire the GM, Sean Marks, or I'm gone. And Joe Sy said, <laughs> yeah, how about you go fuck yourself? So, and we watched how that played out all summer long. And so this is, this is their decision. They wanted Steve Nash as a coach. So he was expendable from the start, which is unfortunate because I like Steve. And he was, he's a Hall of Fame point guard. He's one of the best to ever do it. Um, and I'll talk more about him in just a second. But he was always expendable. This was their choice. You had the, the – clown assery quote from Kyrie Irving oh you know sometimes I'll be coached KD will be coached that is a fucking head coach in the NBA are you really serious with that statement and from there on out Kyrie Irving has continued to say stupid and stupid and more stupid things we've seen it again here in the last week now so I just I didn't get a great vibe from it from the start and uh, the fact that they also got rid of Kenny Atkinson who I thought was a tremendous head coach and we'll see if he gets another head coaching spot uh very soon here um but I just hated that they tore it all down. It was like blood money for Sean Marks and Joe Sy. was like, hey, if we get Kevin Durant, we can just fucking start rolling heads. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. We've got Kevin Durant. And now we've got Kyrie Irving. We'll put it together somehow. We'll win a title. And it's not that easy. And I love how, like, last year's finals, Golden State, a homegrown team. They've been bred. They've been built through the draft. And Boston now, too. I just love that, that that was the final that we got because it showed you it kind of hit back against the super team aspect. And I know some people think Golden State's a super team. When you draft your entire roster, it's not a super team. Um, when they got Kevin Durant, they were. And that's why I hated that move. But outside of that, winning the title again last year, they proved that you don't need to do that. So I just hated everything about the Nets, trading Jared Allen, trading Karis LeVert. Um, so again, this was a long time coming. And in terms of Steve Nash, the guy never had any head coaching experience. So I, I didn't like the move from the start. And I feel for him because he's had to be the ringleader for this circus now for the last two, three seasons. I hope Steve can get another job soon. I mean, look how long it took Kev, uh, Jason Kidd to be a good coach in the NBA, right? I feel like every coach he teamed, he got fired from. They were terrible. They were underperformed. And all of a sudden last year, boom, he popped with Luka and the Mavs. So you give Steve maybe you know five, six years as an assistant. I don't even think it takes that long. Maybe a couple. 
he could be a really good head coach because he knows the game. He's smart. I feel like point guards are naturally good coaches. Maybe that's a bias for thinking that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to sum this all up, I just never liked any single move they've made. And then to get rid of Harden as well, after you bring him in, it just, it, it felt like this was never going to work out with Steve Nash. And it, he's the scapegoat right now for the start of this season. It's very weird to think about all the things you guys just laid out because of the varying level of failure and success they had on like a week to week basis. If you really think about it, right? Like Cody mentioned that series against the Bucks, you know, Kevin Durant's big toe on the line and they don't go, uh, they don't have, they don't win that series, right? Like if that toe is a, a couple inches back and they win that series, where does this conversation go? Where does the next season go? Last year, before Kevin Durant got hurt, this team was the one seed, right? So if you wanted to play the game and, and say, you know, it's really not Nash's fault. He's been dealt a horrible hand. You can totally play that game. But with all the other stuff that went on, that was negative, negative, negative. I look at the GM. I look at the owner and Stromox basically said it in his press conference. He was like, I'm not going to talk about all that stuff because I don't think Steve Nash will want me to because he's a competitor and he don't want to hear it right now. It's like, but there were a lot of things that did not go well from our end and from all ends, right? So if this was a normal team, a normal situation, I think Steve Nash gets a full another year, two years, basically, the rest of this year and next year. Because think about it. he I heard on the pregame from our guy uh, Carino on, on the fan for the Nets radio, they had a different starting lineup over 50% of Steve Nash's games. Like, are you kidding me? In any other scenario, we are giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. Oh, his his star is this. His star is that. It didn't matter. He had no consistency. He had no chance really to succeed here. But here's where it comes in. Was he part of the problem? Perhaps not. Was he the solution? Absolutely not. Right? So the GM and owner say, we want to save our ass a little bit longer. The GM especially want to save his job a little bit longer. Well, let's get rid of the coach and see if something else happens. Because if this next coach don't work, then my ass is going to be out of here too. And that's exactly what this move is. And it's not because of anything that Steve Nash uh, did terribly. It's about what he failed to do, like, really great, if that makes sense. He didn't excel this team up in any way, where we used to constantly see coaches like Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder, who might be in the running for this job, get a lot out of nothing, get a lot out of a little. Steve Nash wasn't able to do that. So was it his fault entirely? Absolutely not. But the Nets had no choice because of all the disaster, and they have to save face a little bit, give themselves another chance. But if you really broke this down, what he did in year one, what he did in year two before Kevin Durant got hurt, there's a lot of positives in there too that now are just going to live on the side of a highway somewhere in Brooklyn in traffic. So that's the Steve Nash story basically here, and it's over before we knew it. Steve I Nash just want to say, I just want to say one more thing really quickly here, and then Cody wants to jump in, or if we want to move on, but. Um, I just I, I find it very I, I I find it very funny too because Joe Sy is culpable in this as well. Sean Marks is as culpable as anybody else, even though it felt like you know like I said, okay, we're going to put all this and, and a lot of it does go on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and that's why I'm not I'm never going to give them a free pass for any of this. But I find it funny because Kevin Durant said in the summer, uh, fire Sean Marks and fire Steve Nash or I'm gone. And at first Joe Sy was like, yeah, relax, Kevin. And then they fire Steve Nash seven games into the season, eight games into the season off a win. I, I don't know if you guys, for anybody that, that's listening that hasn't been watching a lot of Nets basketball, can, 
Can either of you guys tell me what Kevin Durant's averaging this year? I'm just going to say 30. 32, 30, I believe. 30, 32 and a half points a game, putting up some of the greatest shooters number, shooting numbers we've seen from him in his entire career. So I got to give Kevin Durant credit. He is still him. He is still top three player on the planet, one of the most valuable. Um, I'd probably put him third most valuable player on the planet, and I'd probably put him second or third most talented. So, I mean, if we're talking about Jokic and, and Luka as the most valuable, KD's probably right there tied with Giannis. And in terms of sheer talent, I'd put him probably behind Giannis, maybe number two. Um, I think LeBron is still top five, but I think it is now visible that he has taken a small step back. Um, but yeah, Durant's playing out of his fucking gourd. So Joe Sy said, who? Okay, maybe I want to rethink this. Right. <laughs> I don't want to lose Kevin Durant. So Steve Nash, okay, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining. You knew at some point you were walking the plank. It just it all, all depended on was how long that plank was going to be. So Kevin Durant's the only thing that's keeping this team afloat right now. A little bit of Kyrie. He's played pretty well. Uh, he shot very well. But for the most part, without Kevin Durant, this team would probably not win 25 games. It feels like we've been saying that for two years now. Like, if not for Kevin Durant playing at this level, what would this team look like? And then we got that glimpse last year when he went down and they went to, from like Pete said, one seed to a borderline play-in team. But that's what makes all of this so tough is what you're alluding to, Pat. Like, I don't know how you felt in the moment when they brought Harden over, but I've always been on the side of if you feel like you've got a chance, if you have a window, you make every move possible to maximize that small chance that you have, that window. And again, foot on the line, go back to before that. They beat the hell out of the Bucks. They won by like 45 games after, I believe, sweeping uh, Series 1, up 2-0 in the next series. Two guys go down. So like a big part of sports, and you guys know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, it's some of that luck, some of that injury luck. How does the ball bounce? Steve Nash got dealt a bad hand. They had their injuries. They had a lot of things go wrong. Part of it is when you saddle yourself to a guy like Kyrie Irving, who's as unpredictable as they come. Bill Simmons has been saying this for like a year plus now, too. You left a stable organization like the Warriors to go hit your wagon to Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant's a guy that's on the threshold of being a top 10 player all time if he adds a championship to his resume or something. And he goes and hitches his saddle to Kyrie and again, there's a lot of bad luck that went along with it. There's also a lot of bad decisions that went along with it. That's It's just really tough. And I'd love to see if Steve Nash gets another chance somewhere, what he would do with it, or was he maybe a bigger problem? And maybe he's a good X's and O's guy as a point guard, but maybe he's not a leader of men. And maybe that's what this team needs. And maybe that's uh, Atkinson or an, uh, Udoku or whoever they choose to bring in. Um, but geez, it just felt like, like you said, Pat, what could go wrong has gone wrong with this Nets team. Some of it their own doing. Some of it's just you can't help it. It's bad luck, and especially at bad times with injuries. And I think the fact that they – I, I hated the Harden trade from the start because I didn't trust James Harden. One, I think he's a lifetime postseason loser. I've said that numerous times. And I just – I felt like he was, he was going to fuck with the chemistry, which is exactly what happened. And can you blame Kyrie Irving maybe just as equally for that? Of course you can. However, I thought that when they got Katie and Kyrie, those were the two superstars they needed, and you build around them. And what did they already have in-house? A great rim-protecting center that can score from basically anywhere inside 10 feet, and you had a young shooter who is capable of knocking down four threes a game when he hits his peak in Karis Levert, and you fucking traded both of them for James Harden. 
And you traded three first-round picks and the four swaps. So that's why that pick really pissed me off. I said, they're literally just shooting their load for this year to make it happen within a two-year period because they know if it doesn't work in two years, it's probably going to get blown up. And it's exactly what's happening. The Nets, and that's why I'm so hard on Nick Claxton because if they had Jared Allen playing center, this team would be so much better. And if they still had Karis LeVert, that's one more shooter rather than wagering your future on James Harden because now what they have from that is Seth Curry, fucking Ben Simmons, who... We can go off on a tangent on him. I'll never buy that he's going to be all-star caliber ever again in his career. And you got Andre Drummond, Ugh. who you've now given away again, or walked in free agency. So I just – I have despised every single move this organization has made now basically for the past three years. Every single one of them. I hate every one of them. And that's why I hate them so much, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Like, you can argue that Sean Marks – pushed more wrong buttons than Steve Nash. Steve Nash just omitted buttons, right? Like he just didn't push stuff. When people were saying, why aren't you trying this? Why aren't you trying that? Why aren't you mixing up this lineup? He was just kind of doing things, right? Not that he had, again, the best hand, whatever. He just kind of wasn't doing much. There wasn't really a Steve Nash imprint on the team, but the buttons that Marks put pushed over and over again were incorrect. The biggest one too that just pisses me off is the DeAndre Jordan thing. Talk about making your bed. All of a sudden, you got a seven-footer that can't move in that bed with you right now, too. That DeAndre Jordan thing was horrendous. They looked at Jared Allen and said, we're going to have to pay him. It's going to be tough. Why don't we get rid of him? And we can bring back a solid veteran like DeAndre Jordan, who hadn't been good in like four years. He's been a statue for six years now, but four years from that point, that was one of the worst parts of it, too. So Mark's got to see his own mortality in the mirror here. He's got to think that, if this season doesn't turn around and he don't have a monster offseason that he's gone after next, right? Like he'll have his chance to bring in one more coach, 100%. He'll have his chance to go at this offseason again. And then who knows? It might be it for Sean Marks, a guy who has been just loved by the media for so long now, for probably six, seven years now, he's been a a darling of NBA media talking about the trades and the picks and the 20th, the 20 to 40 round uh, pick picks in the draft, whatever he's been money on those. And now it's just nothing. So very, very weird. Let's do one more thing here on the nets quick before we move on. We got to move on to the next topic here. Who are the coaches that, that stand out to you guys? There's been some that have been rumored. Sean Mark said that none of those rumors are, are true or official or whatever, whatever he said to get around it for the moment. So any coach that, that you guys like in particular, or maybe if you don't have one name in mind, a certain style of coach that you think the team needs. The style's like got to be Udoku, but I don't know, like, I mean, how much sense does that make, right? A team with all this turmoil and question marks, like, hey, let's bring in this guy who just got fired for the turmoil that he left behind in Boston. Like, let's bring him over to Brooklyn because I'm sure that'll work. But if not for that, yeah, a defensive-minded coach makes sense there, but I don't think it should be him because of the things I just pointed to. A guy like Quinn Snyder who's proven, who's done it, who's, that, you know, like, you need – Kind of like how the Mets brought in Buck Showalter, albeit how it ended. That's what you need. If you're a team who's going to go for it, go get a guy who's done it before. Don't bring in some guy new who hasn't been there. Don't bring in Louis Rojas. Go get Buck Showalter. Go get your guy. Quinn Snyder's probably the one who sticks out most to me. I, t- I totally agree with Cody. I want Quinn. I wanted, um, I wanted the Lakers to hire him in the offseason because he's a guy that has embraced – the modern day game. He's embraced the analytics. I mean, you saw the type of team the Jazz came became under him. 
they led, what were they, number one, if not number number two, if not number one, most three-pointers taken, attempted, and made in the league for the last couple of seasons. The way they ran their offense, um, I thought this would, this, would be, uh, this would be a great fit if he comes here. And he also, I feel like he's not taking any shit. Like, he, the way Quinn Snyder looks, you're going to cross him. I feel like he'd put, like, fucking put a cigarette out on your neck. So, <laughs> and, he, and Ime Udoka is, like, he looks like he's a fucking intimidating guy, too. I wouldn't want to cross him. But, again, this is just – I saw somebody tweet today, wow, the Nets are really at least committing to the bid of making this look like as much of a full-fledged circus as they can. You're going right. to bring in a guy who just was suspended for basically, what, half the season – no, the whole season, right? The whole the whole season? You yeah. spend it for the whole season. And you're hey, let's bring him to Brooklyn. Yeah, come on. Come on hey, over. We're walking here, you know what I'm saying? The fucking the Cirque du Soleil starts tomorrow night. You're the fucking lead act. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And it's funny, though, because Quinn Snyder and Kenny Atkinson always had a lot of similarities as coaches, one of which being that Quinn Snyder is like the more handsome on Coke version of Kenny Atkinson. And I love it so much. Like, it never looks like Quinn Snyder sleeps. Like, it do- just doesn't which is fine. It's kind of what you want in your head coach. Sometimes you kind of want your coach to sleep. I think Tibbs needs more sleep. If you ask me, I think he should probably watch less film and sleep a little bit more, but he's not going to do that. That's okay. Like Kenny Atkinson has that look like where he's rugged. He's just out there grinding away possessions. Like he's on the, on the court. Quinn Snyder is the same way. Except a little more suave with the hair might fit good in Brooklyn. I, I, I love Quinn Snyder all along in Utah. And that's a classic case of like, he peaked out the Utah Jazz. He got them to their peak. They weren't clearly weren't a team with the players they had to make it to a finals and win a finals. He got everything out of them. Let's see if he can do that with some serious superstars now, right? He did it with a star, two stars if you count Gobert. Give him Cody says no, 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 not a star. He's a star. I, I purposely didn't say superstar. He is a star, though, I guess, right? He's Whatever. a loser. He's a, he's a loser. Cringe as hell, too. But uh, let's see if he can do it with a superstar. So I, I love the Quinn Snyder idea, and we'll see uh, where else they go. Or if they go Jacques Vaughn rest of the year, they easily could go Jacques Vaughn rest of the year, which would be interesting because he's been there. He's been a part of it the entire time. You don't want to get a fresh voice in there. That seems like the whole point here, to get a fresh voice in there. But that I guess we shall see. All right, we got to move off from the Nets here. Let's move on to another topic because we talked about a lot of stuff from the NBA there um, with the Brooklyn Nets and all the things that they've been through now. Over, over the last couple of years, what I want to talk about now is the NBA right now because there's a lot of things happening here and a lot of players really showing out at a special level right now. There are 17 players in the NBA who are averaging 25-plus points per game. I forget the exact number, but I think in years past, it was something like you know six or seven, right? Like It, it went up a huge deal, and people are putting up buckets. Now, yes, of course, you know, most teams have played between five and seven games. So not a big sample size. A lot of those numbers are going to go down. Like can Luca average 36 per game? Possibly, but he'll probably end up more like 32. Is Shea Gilgis Alexander going to average 31 a game? Probably not, right? But these players are showing out. So I just want to bring this thought to you guys and talk about the talent across the league here for a minute because it's not just the guys averaging 25. It is the young guys as well. It's Tyrese Maxey. Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards and Paolo Bancaro all averaging 23 points per game. Young dudes getting after it. Is this the most talented we've seen this league ever, perhaps? Like, is this the deepest we've seen the league? And is the star power spread enough to the point where you can really turn on like any team and be interested in one to three players on every single team right now? I've personally been 
thrilled with what I'm seeing? Are you guys feeling some of those same positive vibes around the NBA with the, with the depth of talent right now, Pat, I'll go to you first. I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm more locked into the NBA than I've ever been in my entire life. So like I, now that we know, you know, I feel like, cause we, now we, we, we see how much star power there is where you see, although inconsistent, what certain guys could do what like Anthony Edwards could go for pop for 40 every single night. And I feel like he, most people wouldn't have him in the top 10 yet, but I think he could easily be there by next year. He could easily be top five. I think he's that damn good, but he's just, you know, he's inconsistent. Um, I think like, I'm just, cause I've bet on a lot of his points prop here the last couple of uh, last week and a half. I feel like he's gone. He's alternated like 35, then teens, then 30 and then teens again. So you don't want, you don't know what you're going to get from him on any given night. Um, so there definitely is a lot of star power, but I'm going to hit back here. I just think with the era we're in the analytics, the three get shot more than ever. There's more points now more than ever. Is it maybe there's just more points in the game. Now there's more points to go, go, to go around. So whereas, you know, the scoring champions always usually in the low thirties, but you know, after that, there's a pretty big drop off. There's, you know, there's not that you, like you said, you have more players averaging 25 points per game or more than ever before. I just think that's a product of there being way more points, way more offense. So I love, I love watching the NBA. I don't want to sound like an old man here, but I feel like that is, it's just a product of there's just more offense. That's funny, Pat, because I was literally thinking, at least you didn't sound like the old man saying, oh, they don't play defense anymore. Like they, they, I think there is more talent to go around. I think you see it on any given night when any team could beat another because you've got one or two guys on these lower-end teams who can go for 25-plus on a given night. Like It's kind of slowly been increasing, I think, talent-wise. You see it with like the bench players, say, who all of a sudden you're like, he's got that in his bag. Like this guy's the eighth guy off the bench right now. How does he have that in his bag? But they all seem to. So maybe there are more points to go around, Pat. Maybe there's just the analytics, but I do think the league's increasing at least offensively talent wise, because you see these guys that are like looking on YouTube and they're following these, these different players and just adding and adding and adding and taking from them and adding to their arsenal. And they're just harder to stop. Like I, we watch every every night, probably right NBA. We'd say it's not that there's a lack of defense. It's not that there's a lack of effort. It's that there's a hand in his face, but he's still knocking down that twenty five footer or that turnaround mid range. It's just not stoppable. Some of these shots. So I think that shows in the any given night, any team can win, which is what makes the NBA so hard to predict and bet on. But yeah, I think there's an influx of talent. I think we're just continuing to see it, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, it's probably a mixture of both of what you guys said. So some statistics for you guys, though, based off what you were talking about, Pat, with pace of play is something that you would think of, right? With more possessions, more shots, et cetera. This year right now is ranked 18th in NBA history on fastest pace. So it's not like this is some abnormal pace where they're getting way more shots up than ever, but the shots, I think, are just more efficient, right? Like that's part of it. So maybe the talent that we're speaking of is a combination of the actual players along with the coaching staffs and, and general managers and front offices getting the most out of these players, right? Like there are players now who we can look at who aren't very good. They're at, they're very average perhaps. And if they go for 19 points, it's like, Oh, they must've just got a little hot from three. Like Royce O'Neal hit what four or five threes in the game on Tuesday night. Like, and all of a sudden he's in the high teens, 20 points. He averages probably seven or eight a game, 11 a game at, at most. Like, 
that may be the variation too. They're getting more out of the lesser players, but I mean, some of the statistics show here that the best players are getting the best shots too. And maybe it's just an effort from all these teams saying we are so much better. We are so much more efficient when Shea Gilders Alexander handles a possession, which is why he's one of the highest ISO usage players in the NBA and is damn good at it. And his shooting's getting better. So from an actual possession standpoint and a shots per game standpoint, this isn't abnormal. It's not even higher than 2019, uh, 2019-20 season, 2018-19 season. Those are both higher at the moment as well. So maybe it's a mixture of, of both the front offices and coaches meshing with the upgraded talent and shot making, and it's just more efficient. And that's why I'm not one to ever come out here and say like, oh, like no one tries on defense anymore. I think they try pretty hard on defense. I watch a lot of NBA. Cody, like you said, we watch more NBA than 98% of people out there probably. And I'm watching people compete on defense constantly. So I don't know what people are talking about all the time that people aren't playing defense. I think it's just so hard to play defense right now. Part of it's some of the rules in the league as well. But, you know, people say, oh, you're, you're, why don't you just press Steph Curry 90 feet or whatever, having it along the court is. I don't even know. Like what? The guy runs more than anybody ever in the history of the NBA. Go ahead, press him. Yeah, he's just going to give it to Draymond. He's going to give it to Jordan Poole. He's going to give it to Wiggins. And then he's going to sprint down the court and your best defender is going to be fried by the middle of the second. So it's like, what do you do D- defensively? It's like impossible. Uh, but to talk about some of the guys who specifically do stand out, we obviously touched on, on some of them. I do want to talk about some of the old guard who has showed up this year. We talked about Kevin Durant earlier. I think one guy who really deserves a, a shout out here is Damian Lillard, a, a team that many people didn't care about going into the season. Yes, he just got banged up. He's going to be out for a week or so, but he should be fine. Dame Lillard absolutely went off the first five games of the season. 31 points, taking 10 threes a game, shooting 39%, which is ridiculous. And, and I mean, we all thought this guy was going to be fried on a downturn, and he showed up and absolutely balled out. So it's not just the Anthony Edwards and the Palo Bancaros who are shocking people this year. It's also the Siakams who keep getting better. It's also Dame Lillard who didn't leave yet, right? Like it's a full fledged mix of these young guys who are showing up and saying, yo, I'm going to get a bucket. I don't care if it's KD, Draymond, Gobert. I don't care who's guarding me. It doesn't matter. I can do this as well as these old guys saying, hey, youngin, I can still do this. So it's a really beautiful combo right now. I'll tune into any NBA game and be interested in multiple things. I like that. And I agree with the shout out for Dame. He's been fantastic. And I don't really, I can, I understand why people hate on him for not leaving Portland, even though it's like, dude, like, don't you want to have one shot at winning a ring? But dude, some guys are loyal for life. Some guys, you know, are interwoven into that community. It feels like that way with him in Portland. So Give them credit, and they got off to a hot start, man. I mean, that would be one of the surprises of the year if they're able to make it to the play-in tournament. I don't see why they wouldn't even at least give it a go, especially if you have Lillard. I know that's kind of like they've accepted the fact that they can't build and, and give him another superstar, like another CJ again. But, I mean, you know, again, at least they're, uh, they're, they're getting off to a hot start here. So we'll see how long it lasts, but it's been fun to watch so far. Yeah. Yeah, and they got Gary Payton coming back. But it's funny, Pat, because I've said this before. If Dame leaves, then the then the Twitter feed is 
Uh, there's no loyalty anywhere anymore. One of the last true ones. Like it doesn't matter what he or anyone does. There's going to be a reason to complain. So I like that he stayed a guy who kind of went against the grain in that aspect. I don't, I don't think they're going to get enough to get a championship, but he's been fun to watch. He's always been fun to watch. And, uh, you know, they're five and one, they're top of the West surprisingly. And who knows? They could, they, they should be a play in type team. And I'll tell you, I think they're better than someone like the Lakers who probably is the type of team that's looking towards the nine ten seed. So why not? And I don't think anyone's going to want to see Dame Lillard in a one game play in. Right. Yeah. No, no, you don't. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I just, and I love the, the, some of the young stars they have on this team. Now I think Anthony Simons is absolutely electric, dude. He is hop city. I mean, he fucking jumps out of a rocket every time he leaves the floor. So watching him, love me some Jeremy Grant. And uh, I think Nurkic still has some room to grow. So We've just slowly talked ourselves now into like being Blazers fans along with Cody. I'm like the A1, I feel like, to your A uh, Pelicans fan this season. Oh, man. Pelicans, bro. Sick. You're on, you're on the Pels too, right, Pete? How could you not be? They're so. All right, so you and me are, you and me are, both, are both B1 and B2, Cody's A. There you go. Uh, yeah, they're, they're so fun. I mean, also like Desmond Bain. What? Like he's off the charts this year. And, and someone you need to mention with the Blazers, Shaden Sharp, bro. You know, that's one of those things where I listened to every scouting report. I watched his high school tapes. I watched everything I could on YouTube. I'm like, I don't know what to say about this guy. All these people who apparently have access to him and his agent and coaches are all like, I don't know, maybe like he's a little bit, who knows if he wants to be here, if he think he's just going to chuck shots. Like, and then he showed up and is just crashing to the rim, throwing down insane dunks, hitting tough shots. I'm like, wow, this is one that, People were flabbergasted on how to scout him. And now I get it because some people were just tantalized with the talent and he has shown up as well. Uh, but that's great stuff. I'm so excited to continue to talk basketball uh, all year long as we get more and more into this basketball season, get more data, more information, watch more games. It's going to be super fun. And you know what else is super fun about the NBA? It's betting on it. And guess what? Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. And check this out. That is, uh, we're talking about new people, new customers. What about everyone? Everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Make sure you go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and start stepping up your same-game parlays today with bigger payouts than ever. It's the only place I go to bet on the NBA. I'm looking at the Knicks and the Hawks on Wednesday night. Right now, the Knicks are minus two. It's a tight game. You might not want to touch the side. Guess what? Great time to step up that SGP and get frisky with it. I like Julius Randle, 10 plus rebounds. I like Jalen Brunson over on his assists. If you want, go with the alternate assist line. Go to six and get plus on that odds. And then you go Trey Young, eight plus assists. And then if you want to get really juicy, you throw an OB Toppin, 10 plus points with a chance for him to make some noise. And you're going to have yourself a good Wednesday night. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPM. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPM. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But now it's time to talk about some football, friends. Time to talk about some football. We already mentioned the picks. Let's do it one more time here as we do our recap. Mark Chen Lugan not here on the podcast tonight, but let's give him a shout Big four in one week for Mark Shenlugan. He's now up to 14 and 26 on the year. Doesn't sound like much, but a big upgrade with the four and one. And then me, four and one this week as well. 
up to 18 and 22. And Pat, three and two for you, up to 17 and 23. So we're inching closer and closer to the 500 mark. I think we can get there soon, bro. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Pat, are you starting to feel like you have a better understanding here? You're feeling like you're in midseason form with the gambling? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, well, dude, think about this. The underdogs and the unders have been hitting at the highest rate in the last 20 years. So I got to adjust. You know, I feel like even then we, we adjusted in like week four, and I feel like we got some shit beats like two weeks in a row. And I was like, dude, what's going on here? But no, I mean, you stay the course. We've adjusted. I've gone almost totally away from the same game parlay. I only like to use it in spots where I'm like super confident. There's either going to be zero points or a ton of points. So like that Miami, you know, plus get them through zero plus three and a half in the over. I love that pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we've adjusted to, we get on a little bit of a roll here and I feel like we're going to consistently play 60% ball the rest of the year and we're going to end up over 500. And I think you could fucking book that. Oh, I was on mute, but it really, really hard. So book it. I'll say it again. Uh, big time week. And you're right, Pat, there were some really tough beats. I mean, Shen could rattle off all the kickers that have ruined his weeks week over week over week. And you know what? He has a point, right? And like, so as Cody said in our chat, though, you know, live by the kicker, die by the kicker. For every time that you get good luck for a bet, you might get bad luck for a bet. Sometimes it comes in, in bunches, right? And and I got to put my hand up right here. Carolina Panthers, plus four. What a wild ride, my friends. I was freaking out. I was texting you guys. I was texting group chats. I'm like, yeah, this, I'm, I'm jumping up off the couch, which doesn't happen that frequently on a Sunday when I'm getting a little tired. Bro, what happened in that game? Now, granted, I thought the Panthers played pretty well, thought the plus four was feeling good, and then all of a sudden, they kicked that damn field goal to the Falcons when you know the Panthers give it back to them when they shouldn't have late in the fourth. Now it's a six-point game. I'm starting to cry about it. DJ Moore goes nuclear over the top with a bomb biscuit from P.J. Walker and then just, <laughs> just throws it away as he takes his helmet off, which is a dumb rule because he was off the field, but if he was off the field on the side, it would have been fine. He was in the, the baseline, whatever, not the baseline, it's not basketball anymore. You get the point. And, and 15 yards, still a makeable field goal or, or extra point. And what a disaster. And then thank God the Falcons win by three. So not only did I cover my plus four with the overtime, but you, Pat, hit on your uh, teaser with the Falcons money line, as well as Shen and his money line with the Falcons as well. So it worked out incredibly well for all the bad beats. The, the lords of football gambling gave us back three at once on Sunday. If you're ever able to hit a trifecta middle ground where some people are on one side, somebody's on the other, and you both get it like that, and you get a, an exciting game on top of it, I mean, dude, that's, that's fucking magic. That's making magic on Sundays. Uh, that game was fun. I mean, I think as awesome as it was to see like 60-yard touchdowns on like back-to-back plays – uh, the secondaries, absolutely atrocious. Where was the defense <laughs> for like the final five minutes of that game? Uh, a lot of that could have been prevented, but still, I'm not going to complain about it. We got a fantastic game. PJ Walker, like how do we feel about PJ Walker now all of a sudden these last couple of weeks? Like the guy might be giving himself, I think he has guaranteed that he is a backup QB for some team again next season with a chance ready to get into the fray if the starter gets hurt. I think that's where we, that's where PJ Walker's at now. And we'll see what he can parlay that into. Marcus Mariota was there. Now he's the starter. He's done a pretty damn good job with Atlanta this year. We've got some guys that are extending their careers before our eyes. Some guys, some quarterbacks that are totally blowing it. Matt Ryan, uh, Carson Wentz. We'll see what happens. Washington's kind of a fucking, well, no, Carson Wentz is done. I forgot. It's Heineke the last two weeks. So 
Uh, I, I love that game all in all on Sunday with Atlanta and Carolina. And yeah, the fact that we were able to, to squeak that in there, the three of us was fantastic. Cause I knew Eddie Pinheiro was missing that fucking kick as soon as that happened. How about the fact that you just named two XFL stars come in and take over from a number one and number two overall pick and uh, honestly look like an immediate upgrade. I've been saying, and I, told you guys that Heineke's better than Carson Wentz, straight up better than Carson Wentz. He's a corpse. He's a loser. Nobody wants to play with that guy. And Washington proved that they just went out and won two in a row. And in comes P.J. Walker, who's at minimum just really fun. He's just an electric fun. I think you said it. He can give himself that type of backup spot. That game was unbelievable. I had nothing going on in that game. I couldn't pick a side. It was just too weird for me. And to have nothing going and be that excited tells you all you need to know about the ending of that one. It was awesome. It was awesome. I couldn't believe it. I was like freaking out. Heart rate was high. Apple Watch asked if I was working out. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> PJ Walker, though, not bad. See, like this is the thing. Walker, Heineke, not bad. Definitely not good, right? Like definitely not great. Heineke will not be the long-term plan. But now you know that you have a chance to possibly win you know, eight or nine games if your quarterback is decent. You know, look at some of these teams that are, are in the playoffs right now. We're going to talk about a bunch of it uh, moving forward here. A bunch of these teams are not even that good at the quarterback position, and they're winning games because they're well-coached or they're talented elsewhere. Like the Cleveland Browns just beat up on the Bengals. No one's saying that Jacoby Brissett's going to be a starter next year, but he's solid, and he could, he can move the ball. He's not going to blow it all the time for you. He will occasionally. That's the story for a lot of NFL teams, and you know, for those teams and those fans out there who have quarterbacks for 10, 15 years, you forget what it's like to be in the carousel, the quarterback carousel of, do we have anyone competent? Can anyone not blow it, right? Like half the reason that the Giants are where they are is because Daniel Jones hasn't been blowing it. He hasn't done anything special. He hasn't done anything outside of running the ball that has even made you say, wow, very frequently. Maybe it's because he has no weapons. Maybe it's because he's not very good. Nonetheless, he's not making mistakes. He's not blowing it for his team which it says something. It really it really does. So why don't we take this time now to recap a little bit on the trade deadline and then use that to talk about some of the teams that are around it here. And I think the one place that I want to start, I think this is the biggest trade. So correct me if you guys disagree. I think it might be the Miami Dolphins, the winners of the trade deadline. And it's not just Bradley Chubb, but I think it's also an upgrade with Jeff Wilson as Chase Edmonds was shipped off to Denver as well. And then they get Jeff Wilson from San Francisco for a fifth rounder. I think this team got better. They have been wheeling and dealing with Tua Tunga Viola, Viola, whatever, at quarterback. Just Tyreek Hill and Waddle deserve so much credit. It's amazing to watch. I think this team is not going to challenge the Bills for the division, but now a division with the Jets and Patriots who are hanging around and looking all right here and there. The Dolphins might have just separated themselves into an ilk of playoff team that is going to be on par with a lot of other teams from the AFC, whether they're division winners or the other wild cards. I think the Dolphins are poised for a big time second half here, especially if Tua stays healthy, because for all the crap he's gotten, that team's a different team with him at quarterback with that with or without limitations. Pat, go to you first on the Dolphins because you've been a little more critical of Tua. I'm not saying you're wrong. So I'm not saying he's great, but do we feel any different today about him as a quarterback at the helm of this team and this team overall going into the second half? 
Um, I'm going to say it's gone a lot better than I thought it would. It's gone a lot better than I thought it would. I got to give Tua some credit. I mean, you know, again, he has basically stuck to the game plan, which I said, if you know what, if they can do it, if they can execute it, they're, they're going to be a very good team because you have Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Um, so, and now that they've been able to kickstart the run game a little bit too, like they're keeping teams honest. Mike Gesicki, I feel like he gets a lot of hate. Um, I kind of like Gesicki. I fuck with him a lot. I feel like he's got three touchdowns now in the last four or five games. So, like, he's starting to get – he's starting to become a red zone target. So, if that becomes a big weapon for them too, like, dude, this offense is going to be scary. And you know what? A lot, of, a lot of people shit on Mike McDaniel for saying that Tua throws the most catchable ball he's ever seen. He has thrown some – very catchable passes over the last couple of weeks. And like, I kind of understand what he means now when you could see like the wheels turning in his head, how to describe it, but it feels like he, he leads a receiver very, and that's part of the the fucking job, but like the way he leads Hill and Waddle, I feel like he puts them in the best spot to catch the ball already on the run. And I know there's times where you got to fit a ball into a tight window, but I feel like even when it's just straight man coverage, he puts the ball where they can not only catch it, but then also break away from who's covering them. Um, so he's done a really nice job. I got to give it to him. You know, I just uh, maybe I got to release some of the hate that's been on Tua because this offense has worked and they're fun to watch. But yeah, obviously the addition of getting Jeff Wilson, I think, is great for the run game. Gives them a number two along with Raheem Mostert, and um, and that allows. I feel like that that would free up Mostert to probably be the third down back. I feel like Jeff would probably just be probably feature on one and two. Um, and then the defense getting Chubb as a big, as a big time pass rusher for a team that has been inconsistent with getting to the quarterback. So I thought they made some, I thought they made some great moves. You, maybe we, we probably see them on wild card round. Um, maybe, you know, pulling a slight upset in the first round and then getting into the AFC divisional round. Uh, we'll see if Tua continues to progress. Uh, honestly, I'm not going to put them getting to the AFC championship game out of the picture. I don't think it's impossible. I think there's a possibility that that happens. I got to see more as they improve. Um, so that's my thoughts on the Dolphins trades. Yeah, and, and I do want to add this because I was thinking about this uh, driving driving earlier today. It's like when somebody says, you know, great job to the Dolphins putting this team together. Like, uh, like, like they figured out a formula. Like, yeah, it would be really nice to have Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, right? Like, who would have thought having these absolute speed demons who have great hands, run great routes, and can adjust to deep balls as good as anybody in the league would be beneficial to your football team, right? Like, I mean, wide receivers have been an interesting uh, debate topic over the past couple of years. Like, do you need to really spend on receivers? Um, can you be average at receiver if you're really good on the O-line? Maybe you could. And for a while, you could probably make that argument better than you could in the last few years. And now with what the Bengals did last year with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and what they're starting to do again, you know, once Jamar Chase gets back, and then now Tyreek Hill not being in Kansas City, we'll see how that plays out over the course of time and more so in the playoffs for them. Having awesome receivers really helps. And especially with Tua, everyone always said, oh, he just threw to all these studs in college. Yeah, get him some studs. He's pretty good. Right? Like, yeah, there you go. There's the formula. Everyone else figure it out. Yeah, I think you're right in the initial question of who won the trade deadline because of the addition of both guys. Jeff Wilson brings 
something they needed because they were frankly getting pretty much nothing out of Chase Edmonds. That deal in the offseason seemed like one that would benefit. You know, he's another guy who's quick, who can move. He looked good in Arizona. He's looked like a corpse over there. And then you add a pass rusher, and anybody knows that when it gets to come playoff time, you need somebody who can get to the quarterback without having to bring that extra heat. I can't believe that uh, two is doing this, though, because I was kind of on that I didn't like him out of college. I didn't think he would be much Alabama product. No one's really, you know, come out of Bama and been like a stud quarterback, not to say he's all the way there, but you know, I got to eat some crow too. And I got to give credit where it is. And sometimes a guy like him, the best thing that could happen, albeit the way it happened, was probably the worst way, but for him to go down to see a backup come in and to see them have next to no success. And it's not like Teddy Bridgewater is some scrub. Teddy Bridgewater has been a good quarterback in this league. He'll continue to be a backup until he can't do it anymore. But he came in. They got next to nothing. Tua came back. They looked like the same offense again. Yeah, Tua, you've earned some credit. You've earned some praise. I don't know what their ultimate angle was. I feel uh, it's a little tough to say without seeing it first. Like, what does Bradley Chubb actually add? What does Jeff Wilson actually add? What's their real ceiling at? They're playing against the Bills in that division. I agree. I don't think them or really anyone's catching the Bills. But – they made good moves, and you'll continue to hear me say it as long as I'm on air or on a podcast or whatever. If you have a chance and you go for it, I always respect that. I always appreciate a team who's going to go for it when they have a window. That's what they're doing. Go for it, Dolphins. You never know what could happen. One-game playoffs in the NFL. See if you can catch lightning in a bottle. Full send, 100%. And, Pat, I think uh, what you touched on is really big A lot amongst a lot of people who were down on Tua, right? All those clips. You remember the, what I said, Pat, preseason? I was like, there's going to be all those clips on Twitter where he throws that little touch pass right over the linebacker, and there's Tyree Kill. And those are beautiful passes. And the more you see it week over week, the more you start to come around and say, like, all right, he's definitely not Josh Allen, right? Like, he, he is not even the same type of quarterback. Like, they don't even play the same position, practically, it feels like sometimes. The way Josh Allen throws bullets all the time and two is with all these touch passes, but it's impressive nonetheless. And you, and you see some of those passes and you're like, God damn, why did he throw that? But he, how did he get it over the, the defense? And yeah, he's thrown his fair share of balls that could have, should have, would have been picked off. But when you watch him week over week and it's now like not a fluke, right? In years past, it felt like a fluke that he was completing some of these passes that all of a sudden they're scoring points because he threw one lucky pass. Now it's not feeling like luck at all. And that's just who he is. And if he can do that the rest of the season, we're going to look at him as a true franchise quarterback, which is something that's been in question for his entire career. Uh, but let's move on to our next team here. I want to talk about another, um, actually, no, not, not another. Yeah, let's do another AFC team here. You know, Roquan Smith goes to the Baltimore Ravens, not uh, maybe as big as getting Roquan Smith and a weapon for their offense, because we know that the Ravens need some weapons on offense here. But their defense has been up and down. They had a few bad games. They had a few really good games. I think this team still should feel like it's their division to lose. So this is one of those additions by, uh, like you said, Cody, if a team's going to go for it, you have to respect it. And when you trade for a guy with that type of pedigree, who's made many plays in his career, you got to feel really good about it. So with the Baltimore Ravens adding Roquan Smith, maybe not the winners of the trade deadline, Pat, but what do you think about their outlook now, you know, relative to the Bengals, relative to their division, and then relative to the to the Dolphins of the world and the other AFC teams that are in contention? Um, 
You know what? I'm not I'm not as high on the Ravens as I was at the beginning of the season, and, and maybe as much as you were, Pete. Uh, I feel like they've they've almost hit their ceiling, um, if that makes sense. And I don't think unless they get out, go out and get an automatic number one wide receiver, I don't think anything's ever going to change it for me. Because now Rashad Bateman was supposed to be that guy. And you could see the glimpses of it, the big game he had against Miami. Other than that, he has been disappointing. And he already missed two games. And now he's got a foot injury. And how many games is he going to be out with now? So Baltimore is once again beat up. They were all beat up on defense all of last season. Oh, yeah, now our guy, my guy, Mark Andrews, now he's got two injuries. Now he's got a shoulder problem. Now he's got an ankle problem. He didn't even touch the ball two weeks ago. Last week, he has three catches for 33 yards in the first, what, quarter against Tampa Bay? Looks great, gets hurt, comes off the field. Um, So their offense is in serious limbo right now. And in a time where they needed to improve that, they once again said Lamar Jackson, hey, Lamar, you're on your own, buddy. We're going to go and improve the defense. And they needed to because the defense has also been very bad this year. And Patrick Queen, I feel like we've been waiting for him to be like a Pro Bowl linebacker, and he's not. Uh, so I don't know. They needed a, a, a dead run stopper in the middle of that linebacking core. They need somebody that can shut down the fucking run. Roquan Smith can do that. So I like in terms of they address the big need on defense in terms of being able to stop the run because they really haven't been able to do that much this year. And a lot of teams can throw on them anyway because the secondary has also been underperforming. Uh, but again, they needed offense, they, and they didn't get it, and their offense is banged up. So just the outlook as a whole for Baltimore going forward, I wouldn't be surprised if they missed the playoffs. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they finish 8-9 and nine here. Um, and I think we maybe start to bring cl- draw closer to the John Harbaugh era in Baltimore. Honestly, I think they've hit their ceiling. I guess my pushback would be, does that mean it's the Bengals division? Because they're also dealing with Jamar Chase out another five, six weeks, and they just looked abysmal against the Browns without him. Not to say they won't make adjustments, but is that where your head's at then? It's the Bengals division, or you think the Browns come out of nowhere? Obviously, the Steelers are dead. I think this division is as wide open as any other in the, in the entire NFL. I think it is as open as the AFC South. I think it is as open as the NFC South uh, because we're waiting for Tampa Bay to wake up and it's not happening. Um, do they eventually find it for a four or five game clip where they can run away and win the division by like, you know, a game or two games, but it's never really in jeopardy. Perhaps they should. I still think they will, but I think we're way past the point of no return of thinking that Tampa Bay is this elite juggernaut. They're far from mm. it. Um, so when it comes to the AFC North, I do think that division is pretty open. Cincinnati, again, they're totally inconsistent. Weeks one through three, the offensive line couldn't block my dead grandma. Then they figured it out. They put up 30 against New Orleans. They put up, um, what, 38 against Atlanta last week. And then they play a Browns defense that is, yeah, it's good. They've been a little banged up, but they've been a little bit in flux. They haven't been that great. And you get totally fucking shut down. Burrow is under siege every play. He's turning the ball over, throws a pick on the first drive, fumbles on the the last drive before half. So they got a lot of issues and maybe Jamar Chase, we're going to find out just how valuable he is here over these next couple of weeks because they look dead against the Cleveland team that was on their last fucking legs already in week, week eight and they beat the shit out of them. So um, Baltimore, Cincinnati, either. I think that that division is up for grabs and dude, it, it pisses me off to say it, but the Sean Watson steps on the field in week 13. And if he's plays anything like he did two years ago, uh, the Browns, if they stay alive enough, look out. 
they just have to teeter the Browns, right? They have to just be in it and and around the playoff conversation to have a chance. You're right. What I will push back on as well with the Ravens is they do have a bit of a soft spot in mm. their schedule coming up. They have the Saints, which is a, a tough to, a tough game. You know, whether they look terrible the week before or amazing the week before, you might not know what you're going to get, but you might get a really good performance out of the Saints. You know, every time they play good, you think they turn it on. Or, and then they, they don't show up. So who knows which Saints are getting. That's a primetime game on Monday night. So you know what primetime game, prime games do to teams when it comes to narrative, right? So if the Ravens look great and Lamar goes off on Monday, the Ravens are a Super Bowl contender. If they get shut down, even if they win, you know, 16 to 14 or something stupid like that, oh, what's wrong with the Ravens? Is Lamar blah, blah, blah. But comes back to who do they have? to throw the ball to who do they have to run the ball? Gus Edwards, thankfully not that banged up, like you mentioned, but after the saints, they have the Panthers, Jaguars, Broncos, Steelers. They're going to be favored in every game. They're going to be favored in every single one of those games. Even if they lose a stupid game to the Panthers or the Jaguars, they're going to be favored against the Broncos and the Steelers and all those teams. And then right up, they get the Browns, Falcons, Steelers, Bengals at the end there. So if they can take care of business against the Steelers, and the Falcons late in the season, you know, you're looking at a team that's going to walk to 10 wins, in, in my opinion. They're already at five and three. So even if you're if you're right on your assessment, Pat, I think the schedule is what saves them from a playoff perspective. Uh, but they do have to figure it out. And, and now to continue on our trade deadline conversations here, a guy that no one really thought was available, or at least I didn't see it, that it was being talked about, that gets taken for a second round pick, you know, pretty, pretty valuable, but reasonable. Chase Claypool goes to the Chicago Bears. Mm. Is, is that a type of guy that would maybe fill a void for the Baltimore Ravens? Why are they not looking at at a Claypool? Maybe they did. Maybe you know Steelers just wouldn't trade it to him because it's uh, in division. Probably yeah. that as well. But there had to be somebody out there for the Ravens to improve that pass catching unit. So I, I don't know. Is there anybody you would have liked to see them go for, Cody? Or like, what what do you think in 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 their solutions here? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that there's a specific guy. I agree. They need. I mean, we're not talking anything anyone doesn't know. They needed someone to help Lamar to alleviate any type of pressure. They don't have J.K. Dobbins. They're injured in the backfield, which they have been. Mark Andrews, as you said, has been the guy for the last two years for Lamar. He's battling injury. They do have a bye week coming up. Hopefully, he can get healthy on the bye week. Where I see it as their division, though, still. And this is strictly winning the division, get to the playoffs where I feel confident in the Ravens. One, Pete just mentioned the schedule coming up. They're going to be favored in all four of those games. Five, if you include the Saints on Monday night. If they go four and one in those games, handle business. We're talking about them differently. Two, they're already a game up on the Bengals. And if I'm not mistaken, two games up on the Browns. And they've beaten both of those teams. So as of right now, they own the tiebreaker. They don't see the Bengals again until week 18. That game might not even matter at that point. So that's where I feel comfortable. Anyone who knows I've got Ravens futures. So when Pat said they might miss the playoffs, it was like a dagger to me. I'm like, you know, I, we were all on the Pelicans bandwagon. We're all happy. And then Pat just throws some shade like, hey, I think the Ravens are going to miss the playoffs, Cody. So you're going to lose out on those futures. But I think their schedule helps them. But they didn't make enough moves to be any type of Super Bowl contender. I just think with Harbaugh and the organization, I trust them enough to win that division to take care of enough business, probably win 10 games, I think is safe to say wins the division. But I don't think they could go any further than that. The Smith, uh, the Rokon Smith edition helps the defense, like you said. I'm glad they did something. 
But Lamar needs help, and he's starting to feel like uh, Aaron Rodgers over there in Green Bay where they just don't do anything to give him any help. And, you know, he's got to do it all on his own, Superman Lamar. I, I don't know. It just feels fishy to me, and especially in a contract year for him. You know where it looks pretty good, Lamar? Big Blue in New York. We'll take you. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Well, I got, a, I got a real quick point about that. And, you know, it's funny, too, because the way that they structured this trade – the Bears are paying Roquan Smith $4.8 million for the rest of the season. Do you guys know how much the Ravens are paying him after they traded for him? $575,000 for the rest of the year. That's how much they got to pay Roquan Smith. And they still didn't do anything else to upgrade that offense. It almost begs the question, what the fuck is Eric DaCosta, the general manager, and what is Steve Bashotti, the owner, thinking? How do you not upgrade the offense when literally just the last game on Sunday – your number one wide receiver gets hurt, and the tight end, probably the second best tight end, third best tight end all in football, also now has two minor injuries that are that are nagging. So how did you that? Did they pick up the phone and ask for Chase Claypool? Did they ask Denver about Jerry Judy? Kind of ask you the question, do they really even want Lamar Jackson to stick around after next year? Is this almost a signal? Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. Lamar, you want to get paid big bucks? You're going to eat up all of our cap. We're not going to be able to give you number one receivers. We're not going to be able to give you gigantic weapons. So this is what it's going to be like if you want to stick around and we're going to have to pay you $50 million a year. I don't know. Is that the message they're sending? It, it kind of seems like it to me. Was DJ Moore available at all? Either did the Panthers make him available or did they kind of take him off the table, which would be weird to take him off the table considering they just lost and sent out McCaffrey. Yeah, they sent out McCaffrey. So it, it almost, it seemed like, why would you not pick up the phone on DJ more than they sent Robbie Anderson to Arizona? That was more so just, he wasn't going to fucking fit on that team anymore because mm-hmm. he was a problem. He was his biggest enemy, but uh, yeah, begs the question. What happened with DJ Moore? Maybe Carolina being in the NFC South playoff hunt. They're like, yeah. hey, we're not trading him away yet. I think that's probably what it ultimately was. That's what I was going to say too, Pat. I think the Panthers think they have a shot in the South. Why wouldn't they? Right? Why wouldn't they? Um, on they the were, they were they were a DJ Moore not throwing his helmet down from being in first place. Literally, from being in first place. One penalty away from first place, basically, in, in the end of that game there. It's unbelievable. But speaking of the Panthers, the Bengals – upcoming schedule includes the Panthers and Steelers over the next two weeks. That's pretty good. But then they have the Titans, Chiefs, Browns, Bucks, Pats, Bills, ending with the Ravens. A lot tougher go at it for the Bengals than the Ravens there. I mean, we're talking Titans, Chiefs, Browns with Deshaun Watson back. That's not easy, man. That's going to be a lot more difficult than what we just read off for the Ravens. So that's another thing when it comes to division here on what's going to break down. Uh, but let's go Let's go on. One more uh, trade to talk about here. And this is really, you know, the trade is, is good for the team, but it's more to talk about the entire division here. The Philadelphia Eagles get Robert Quinn from the Bears for a fourth-round pick, as well as the Cowboys get Jonathan Hankins. Nice veteran D lineman there for a sixth-round pick from the Raiders. Probably not as impactful, but whatever. I want to talk about the NFC East here. Cowboys and Eagles look really damn good. Cowboys offense looked good this week. If Dak starts getting going and the offense is as good as it's been in the past with what we've seen from this defense here, I just got to ask the question. Yeah, we've been putting the Eagles number one in the NFC power rankings, number two in the NFL power rankings behind the Bills more or less here. The Cowboys just as good perhaps as the Philadelphia Eagles. That's my question. Cody, I would like to go to you first. As a Giants guy, as an NFC East watcher, (laughs) Eagles and Cowboys might be two of the best teams in the NFL right now. How are we feeling about those two teams in our, in our favorite division here? 
Uh, six and two Giants are in third place. That's just painful. I mean, six wins won the division like two years ago. But the question was, uh, who's better? <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I think the Eagles roster is better, and I think I trust them more because, like, how can you trust the Cowboys? We're talking down the stretch. Like, how can you? They've just shown time and time again they're kind of rolling out the same group, but. Two good defenses, two really good rosters. Dak looked really good against the Bears. Who, I mean, say what you want about the Bears. It's not the defense that's been, like, abysmal for them. It's really been the offense. Like, that was a pretty impressive performance by Dak. I guess I give the slight edge to the undefeated Eagles. They've already beaten the Cowboys, correct? They played already? Yeah. Without so Dak. they already beat the Cowboys without Dak, but you only play twice. So that's that tiebreaker that's going to be ever so important come down the stretch. The Eagles are going to continue to play this soft schedule. I'm not trying to throw shade at the Eagles. You play who's in front of you. But I give the slight edge to the Eagles. I can't believe that, again, like the Giants at 6-2 and two seem miles behind these two teams. And it's just like, why can't I have nice things? <laughs> I, uh, I see what you mean, though, Cody. Um, and I, I agree. It feels like with – the Eagles, what, the week three of last year, Nick Sirianni's talking about a fucking flower blooming. And we're like, what is this guy saying? And now literally that flower has blossomed into a nice, big, beautiful tree that has led them to being the number one team in football right now through the first eight weeks. And they're probably going to destroy Houston on Thursday. Hopefully I just mushed it. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, dude, it's like, hey, it was, we saw they, they knew exactly who they wanted to be with Jalen Hurts. And it was like, all right, just, just give the kid a year. Give him a year. You'll see what the arm can be, and holy shit, man, he has been absolutely incredible. So, and the defense has been good. They win the trenches, and that's what people don't realize. It's like, well, okay, but yeah, how are the Eagles so great though? Well, their fucking offensive line is massive, and all the improvements they made in the draft, I love what they did. Um, and their defensive line is winning the battle just as much as their offensive line is. So, teams aren't doing a whole lot on either side of the ball. They're consistent. They're healthy. Yeah, that'll get you seven and zero. Yeah, they've got a true identity in Philly. I think that's like the point that I probably missed there. And Jalen Hurts looks good. So they've got talent everywhere, like you said, but they've got an identity. They know their run first. That's really important to have. I can't believe I'm sitting here just praising the Eagles. What a stupid question, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it goes back to our conversation pre-show where I was talking to my other buddies, uh, Andrew Colonial and Argento, about teams that we hate. And I'm like, the Eagles have so frequently in my life stripped my hate from them. First and foremost was when I was a kid, T.O. was my favorite wide receiver. He was like my favorite player in the league. And he goes to the Eagles. I'm like, God, now like I kind of like this team. Like they're kind of fun. Like they had some cool, cool players on there. Freddie Mitchell was doing weird stuff as one of their like third, fourth receivers. But T.O. was my guy, whatever. And, and I didn't hate that team. And then I go back to hating them a little bit in between, whatever. I was kind of a Wentz guy in the draft. So I had to kind of pull for him a little bit. In Philadelphia, felt good for a while. Now felt terrible, whatever. Now, again, I like Jalen Hurts coming out of the draft. A.J. Brown's one of my two or three favorite receivers in the NFL. What an impact he's made. And they're a likable team. I think Jalen Hurts is a really likable character here in the NFL as one of these quarterbacks who's taken the league by storm. And it's one of those situations where if you're sitting on the couch with a couple couple people and you see that throw on red zone over the top biscuit from Jalen Hurts to, to A.J. Brown, the first reaction, somebody goes, oh, my God, what a catch. And the next person instantly goes, oh, my God, what a throw. Like, it's not just like it's one unit. Like Pat said, it's every unit right now for Philadelphia is clicking on all cylinders. 
and what a world of difference a number one wide receiver makes. AJ Brown's been doing great stuff, had a few weird weeks in there, but they didn't need him when he didn't show up that much anyway. And he can go off against anybody and is one of the toughest receivers in the league. And that all being said is no shade on the Cowboys because they're really good. And now that Dak's back, CeeDee Lamb feels better. Tony Pollard going off. We know what's going on there. So, man, the Giants are screwed. That's it. That's what it is. That's, that's what it is, man. I haven't trusted the Giants are good all year long. I'm not going to start now. I'm still waiting for Daniel Jones to do something special. I know he's not dealt the best hand. Doesn't always matter. They got to do something on offense to make me feel good about this team. I hate to say I knew the Seahawks game was coming at some point. I didn't bet it this week because I didn't want to be a part of it. I want to watch as a fan and enjoy. That game was bound to happen where they were going to have a few balls bounce against them and their offense wasn't going to do enough to keep up with it. That's the, that's the NFC East we live in right now. You need to be good on both sides and the Giants are good on combined 1.25 sides. I, I would slow down with the with the Mark Shenlugi and I told you so because they lost to the Seahawks this week in Seattle. That's a good Seattle team too. So right. they've right. got two games coming up with Houston and Detroit. If they win them both, we're talking about an eight and two Giants maybe in a different light. But right. with the team we haven't mentioned, although we did talk a little earlier, the right the football team commanders, Redskins are better now with Taylor Heineke. They're a little more frisky. They're not the easy team that I think they were the first six weeks of the season. The Giants still play them twice. They got two with the Philly, and they have one with Dallas. So I, it's quiet. It's a little skeptic, but handle business, I thought they had to go th- uh, three out of four in that stretch. They lost one to Seattle. That's the one I kind of chalked up as that's going to be a really tough one to get, especially before the bye. Someone, uh, I think it was Bill Simmons pointed out how they drew, uh, or no, it was Big Cat pointed out they traveled to London and then they went all the way down South and then they went out to the West. Like it was, it was a lot of traveling, a lot of stuff. So they're a well-coached team. And I think we've seen that the league just kind of looks a little funky this year. So if you can not beat yourself, I think you're going to hang around in these games and maybe they can sneak 10, 11 wins, make the playoffs and, Geez, I was looking at the last time they or the through eight games since 2017. It's one and seven, one and seven, two and six, one and seven, one and seven. Let's be happy about something here. We're going into the bye at six and two, Giants fans. We're okay with that. Gotta be. Those are those are good points, Cody. And really quickly, I just want to point out when you mentioned the Commanders, there's five divisions out of the eight that have two teams or more, 500 or better. There's only two teams that have three, and both of those divisions happen to have all four teams at 500 or better. One is the AFC East, Buffalo, the Jets, Miami, New England, the worst at four and four. And the other, of course, would be the NFC East, NFC least to NFC beast. Eagles, seven wins, Dallas, six, Giants, six, and now Washington with your guy, Taylor Heineke, four and four. So I think... You know, we were talking about divisions earlier, and I said, like, that's what I think of right away. Like, wow, the NFC East was so bad, and now, right this year, everybody is very, very good. And even Washington, who we thought would be straggling at the pack, back of the pack, now they've got Heineke, like you said. Now they're frisky. And, Pete, if I may transition us here really quickly, because the one team, the last team I want to talk about with the trade deadline, who I thought made a fantastic, probably the most surprising trade outside of the Calvin Ridley of the day, the Minnesota Vikings getting TJ Hawkinson. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to say it. They're one win away from me 
a beat a win against the Frisky Commanders on Sunday in Landover. Minnesota's one win away from me from proclaiming, proclaiming them my pick to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC. Wow. I like Minnesota, man. I love them. And you know what? Maybe I'm 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 off on another play now because I will eat crow. That Raiders pick has been a disaster. They are done. That season's over. They're fucking trolling a fucking bad room and lock away the key. <laughs> terrible, terrible pick. I, maybe it's Josh McDaniel. Maybe he's just not meant to be a head coach. That's who I'm going to scapegoat in this situation. But I love Minnesota. I think they're fantastic. And I love that deal, right? Big Herb Smith goes down. They're like, fuck it. Let's not even fuck around. Adam Thielen hasn't been, you know, like a lethal 1A right now to Justin Jefferson. So um, he hasn't been fantastic, you know, racking up like 90 yards a game. He's still pretty decent. Thielen, he's putting up decent numbers. But they're like, we need another weapon. Boom, let's go and get TJ Hawkinson, a guy who we think could be a huge red zone weapon for Kirk Cousins. And Kirk just continues to put up big numbers, man. You know, say what you will, he sucks in prime time. At least he proved it again against the Eagles, who happen to be the best team in the NFL. So maybe that doesn't look like that bad of a loss. That's their only loss. And Cousins just continues to be very efficient. He continues to, outside of that game against Philly, take care of the football. And I think the Vikings defense is very underrated. So... I am. Uh, I hope I just didn't mush it because I know both of you guys love the Vikes, but I'm on. I'm on them now officially. I can't believe you did this to me. Are you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Huh? They're gonna lose to Washington this weekend. Washington. <laughs> well, they might not lose, but they're almost guaranteed to not cover now. Almost guaranteed. But uh, they are playing at one o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. So then again, Kirk Cousins one o'clock. How do you go wrong? I mean, I was. You did a great job segueing that. Hawkinson has been. One of those guys who everybody's been waiting for the explosion season. He has explosion games. He gets 95 yards and doesn't score. Then he gets 12 yards and scores twice. Like it's one of those weird things with Hawkinson, where as a fantasy owner, you're kind of confused all the time, but he ends up being like the fifth tight end in the league. So it, it works out. But now on an offense that actually works consistently, because I think we're learning a little bit that Detroit offense was at least partially smokes and mirrors, right? Like they're not very good team. Their, their offense is still fine. Whatever. Like he has a, Really good quarterback now and a lot of weapons around him. This could be really special for the Vikings. I'm excited. I'm not going to go ahead and say Super Bowl for the Minnesota Vikings because I, I just think that I, I, I think that it's going to be the Eagles or Cowboys in the Super Bowl right now. I think they're the two best teams in the NFC. But great point by you. One bad game felt really bad early. Looking back, that game does not feel as bad because the Eagles are juggernaut. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Pat. I'm feeling the hype from Minnesota and the Vikings. Yeah, that was a massive move for them. The reason when I, we started with Miami, I pointed to both Chubb and Jeff Wilson to make them the winners was because it took both of them to beat who I think was a huge winner in getting TJ Hawkinson from an inner division team, which doesn't happen often, but, you know, go Detroit. Here's one thing I, I hadn't realized until today. Justin Jefferson hasn't scored a touchdown since week one. They hmm. now add a big red zone threat in TJ Hawkinson to go along with the weapons they have. They're arguably the most balanced offensive attack in the league. You've got Justin Jefferson. Despite what Thielen's looked like, he's still a weapon out there. You add Hawkinson. You've got Dalvin Cook. And for whatever it's worth, Alex Madison's a pretty good second guy behind Dalvin Cook. Their defense is weird to me. I don't know exactly like what to make of their defense. It seems like a one-week in, one-week out. But the reason I had like that reaction, Pat, was because you just went in – all in on Kirk Cousins, who is just 
the toughest guy to be all in on. The Vikings as a team are a roller coaster, but yes, I have them 10 plus wins this year. I have them uh, locked with the Ravens to go to the playoffs. So I'm very much invested in the Vikings. I love that they made that move in a weak NFC because when you said that, uh, Pete, hey, Cowboys and Eagles conference, I'm like looking around like, okay, the West, oh, they have no one. Oh, the South, they have no one. Like, wow, like you go down really quickly. It's like, well, the Packers look like nothing and the rest of that division's hor- like horrible. It really comes down to really those three teams in the NFC that potentially are going to be the teams that you're going at. The problem is they don't play all the playoff games at one o'clock. So Kirk Cousins is going to have a hard time when it gets to that time of the year. But uh, I mean, look, they, they look like a shoe in at this point, all barring a huge collapse to win their division, to be a type of team to have a first round buy. I mean, why not in, in a weird, weird NFL year? which I, I actually meant to say earlier, all those people who look at your guys' record and is like probably down on it or whatever, it's really hard this year. I mean, look at the league. Look at what you've seen this year. And not to mention, I know you guys put out other picks that you do on your own. So I'm going to back my guys at SST a little bit there. Um, yeah, I mean, why not the Vikings, Pat? I guess you almost swung me a little bit because there's just not enough talent in the NFC to say they can't do it. So why not them? And if I could say, Pete, one more thing here before you jump in. I mean, we talk about Brian Dayball. I think Brian Dayball is a lock for – or at least I thought he was a lock for Coach of the Year. But, I mean, let's give some love to Big KO. Kevin O'Connell here tearing it up in his first season. This was not an easy spot to jump into. And I think I love the way they've assembled their staff. I just totally remember when I, I'm looking at their coaching staff here. Mike Pettins, you know, the quote-unquote assistant head coach, he's probably helping Kevin O'Connell with a lot of the week-to-week, you know, responsibilities and duties are going on, how to go about the job, how to be a professional. And, um, you know, Wes Phillips, who who was the offensive coordinator, he was a tight end coach for the last eight years. So that's why I also, you know, looking through the details of this trade with Hawkinson, I love that because now you get the OC who's a tight end guy, get his hands all over TJ Hawkinson, see if he can make him even better than he was in Detroit. Probably has an upgrade in quarterback from Jared Goff to Kirk Cousins. I don't think either of you would disagree with that. And, uh, you know, again, like you said, you can't really get a handle on what this defense is. Um, looking at their D.C. at Donatelli is with the Broncos for the last three seasons. Left a pretty damn good defense behind. And now Minnesota is kind of taking on like a bend but don't break defense. They're pretty – the last time I checked, they were very good in the red zone. And that's why it seems like, you know, like you said, they're very balanced. Their offensive attack's balanced. And I feel like them as a team, they feel pretty balanced. You know, they're still definitely going to have those games where they scare you, Pete. But for the most part, I've been waiting for them to, like, collapse on you. And they haven't. You know, even when they haven't covered, they, they're winning football games. They look very, very good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I'm sorry if I mushed it, but I'm in on Minnesota now. Well, they might have tried to blow it last week a little bit, the Cardinals-Vikings game. I'm so happy I didn't bet that. I know the Vikings covered and all that, but I'm so happy I didn't touch that game. It was a disaster. But listen to this. Outside of the Eagles game where they lost 24-7, they have scored this year. 23, 28, 28, 29, 24, 34. I just, I dream of rooting for a team that can score that many points that many weeks in a row. It's unbelievable. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea what that's like. Zero clue what that is like. So they got to keep putting it up and uh, and Kirk's got to keep doing it. They're not only good on the red zone on defense, Pat, but they're also, I think, top three in red zone efficiency on offense. So once they get there, they're getting in, whether it be Kirk Cousins or Dalvin Cook. 
They've got to be because they're only averaging 361 yards a game. That's like, what, if I off the top of my head, I'm not looking probably 12th, 13th best. It's not like astounding yeah. numbers, but they're, they're punching it in when they get there. Yeah, pretty pretty impressive stuff. Uh, love it. Let's do one last thing. That was great stuff, by the way. Trade deadline, league talk, Cody O'Connor, Pat Boyle. Real quick, real quick, because I know it's super late and we've already been going at this for a while here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give out three games here, and you guys are gonna tell me which one interests you the most. So we got the I'm saying Chargers at Falcons as one. We have the uh, Rams at Buccaneers. I'm going to give you four, actually. Titans at Chiefs. And then lastly, Packers at Lions. Any of those games jump out to you guys as extraordinarily interesting? No interesting games. Okay. Sorry, I was going to let Pat go first because I wanted to probably just take the other. You gave a couple really good ones. I Gosh. I guess it's – I'm going to go with the Rams and the Bucks, and I'll let someone take that. I think the Falcons-Chargers is also really, really interesting to me to see what the Falcons actually are. Are the Chargers going to make a push and be what they want to be? But the Rams and Bucks feels like a loser leaves town type of game. Like the Bucks are reeling as a guy with – I thought one of the more secure bets as the Bucks to win the South. I've got them with the Bills to win the East. I mean, you tell me that the Saints are going to be a three-win team – and that the Bucks are going to be in this much trouble this early on in the year. I can't believe it, but they look uh, just dead. I mean, Brady looks like he should have never came back, and he wishes he never came back. I don't know what the fix is, if there's a fix. I keep thinking, like, all right, it's Tom Brady. Like, Tom, like, come on, Tom. Like, be Tom. And he's just not doing it. He didn't beat the Steelers. Then he loses to the Panthers, who have both looked – well, the Panthers a little more with P.J. Walker, but the Steelers have looked horrible – other than that game. And it's like, what's going on And the Rams? I mean, my God, they just got smoked again by the Niners. How many times can they just get their shit pushed in by Kyle Shanahan, at least in the regular season? I mean, my God, have some pride over there guys. And McVay looks like he shouldn't have even come back. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, it is, it's like the Super Bowl, you know, champions look like they just, don't have – I mean, Von Miller leaving and Odell not being there can't be that much of a difference this year. And it's like, wow, I heard uh, – I think Bill Simmons posted, posed the question, like who regrets most uh, coming back? Was it Brady, McVay, or Al Michaels going and doing uh, Thursday night? So it's, it's just – I think that game in the matter of two teams that are in a complete opposite of where we thought they'd be to this point in the year. And, you know, something's got to give over there. Bucks are minus three in that game, by the way. Bucks minus three. I'm staying away. Not touch. No touchy. No touchy for me. No touchy. I'm probably going to end up being touchy on that one. But yeah, same. Uh, we'll not, in my five. not in my five. Well, dude, a game that I love, um, and it just so happens it's in primetime Sunday night. I love the Titans and the Chiefs. Um, I feel like I've been, um, you know, hyping up the Titans again since they got pushed off the uh, the deep end. In week two, getting their tits blown off by Buffalo, where I picked them. I said I picked them on the pod, and I said I actually think they win this game outright. I mean, talk about being on the wrong side. Uh, but I think this is another opportunity for them. Like they've embraced their identity. We both said it, Pete. I think all three of us took a minus two and a half against Houston. Again, it's the Houston Texans. I get that. I was like, dude, Tannehill or not, this team knows who they are. They're gonna give the fucking ball to Derrick Henry. 
the offensive line's been playing really well, even though Taylor Lewan's on IR, their left tackle, and the defense, which was not great in the first couple of weeks. I mean, again, they got blown up by Buffalo. Like, all right, so many teams have done that this year. So many teams are going to continue to get blown up by Buffalo. Uh, but the pass rush, and they lost Harold Landry before the season started. So that was a big blow. But, like, Jeffrey Simmons, he's not racking up, like, a ton of sacks. But him and Demarcus Walker, they're finding ways to get to the quarterback. I uh, like what Danico Autry and Bud Dupree do for the linebackers. It's like the defense is respectable. And, you know, I, I would love to, to say that I can believe Ryan Tannehill will take a step up this year into that next tier. Um, but I don't believe it. I don't, I, I can't buy it yet. And especially when has he no, didn't. has no weapons either. You know, not like he has receivers running out there anymore. Yeah. I mean, dude, the fact that they're doing this with Robert Woods and uh, what Nick Westbrook, Akina, especially because Traylon Burks is on IR. So you got to give them credit that they're, that they won five straight games here. You know, again, you play who's in front of you. They've beaten Houston, Indianapolis twice, Washington, and Vegas, who looks like, a, you know, there's a dumpster fire now. So I'm really excited now that now they're huge underdogs, 12 and a half points, again, just like they were against Buffalo. This is the second opportunity now for them to play another juggernaut right in their own conference, the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been, you know, kind of rolling right along since their loss to Indianapolis uh, in week, what, three? And it feels like everybody is just assuming the Chiefs are going to roll them over. I would love to see Tennessee cover this spread. I'm, I'm going to give it away now. That's probably 99% one of my picks this weekend. I'm probably going to take the Titans plus 12 and a half. I would love to see them step up to the plate here in the second chance to prove themselves and really make a difference, make this a close game um, and see if it is Tannehill, even if it's not, maybe that's the deciding factor. Maybe I lay off if it is Malik Willis, but if it is Tannehill, um, you know, again, I know I just said before that they can operate without him, but for a game like this, you need, you do need to throw the football a little bit. So um, if Tannehill plays, I'm probably on the Titans. And I think that they have a really good shot of making the playoffs. Obviously, I think they're going to win the AFC South. And I would like to see them, you know, after they got punched in the mouth by Buffalo, that game was over early. I'd like for, uh, I'd like for them to prove something here this weekend. So that's my most interesting game Sunday night. It's the biggest spread. Yeah, they're the type of team that can annoy the uh, the Chiefs too, right? It's kind of like the Colts, right? That stupid game when the Colts beat the Chiefs early in the season. That feels like a lifetime ago. It's the same concept. Run the ball, control the ball, don't make a mistake. Make Patrick Mahomes throw red zone inter interception, and you have a chance, and you're in it, right? And, and then on the flip side, you can see them getting blown out, uh, of course, right? But I'm curious how many teams in the NFL have been that big of underdogs, you know, double-digit plus, after a five-game win streak. That probably hasn't happened very frequently, but maybe that tells us what Vegas is thinking of the Titans, or maybe they're just telling us that people are still going to bet the Chiefs no matter what. The public's going to be on the Chiefs. Well, I think you have the Andy Reid coming off a buy spot, which like people fall in love with. Um, and it's like over now. It hasn't been working as well the past couple of years. Yeah, I think they've what they've lost off the buy the last two years, if I'm correct. It Lost or not covered, something, something. It hasn't been as clean as it as it used to be. It feels that way. Um, but yeah, no, and and I and I was wrong, by the way. Uh, if you include Thursday night, Philly's a fourteen point favorite over Houston, mm -hmm. and even Buffalo has gotten up to thirteen now against the Jets on Sunday. People have really fallen off the Zach Wilson bandwagon. I don't Those blame by them. Hundred, bro. Sheesh. Those by hundred. Yeah. The Chiefs are also aren't like the type of team to cover big spreads that often, like historically, even as a team that wins 12, 13 games a year, they don't necessarily cover those big spreads. And even though they just beat the hell out of San Fran, I guess you could kind of point to a law of averages and think, well, they probably won't do that again. I like the Titans with those 
that many points. I also just realized that we told on ourselves a little bit. Pat, you're the only one who stayed true to this. The Rams and Bucks game is only one of two games at 4 o'clock on Sunday. So I don't know how you guys operate, but I will absolutely have to touch that. If not, maybe that'll be the first weekend to listen. I go apple picking or something because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> well, well, no, I will definitely touch it as well. I just won't make it one of my five picks. There's a big difference, right? You can have all sorts of action on a Sunday. That don't mean it's going to be on the podcast picks. That is, that's where I draw the line. I ain't touching that for the podcast picks. But... <laughs> If you don't think after one o'clock, whether it goes good or bad, that I'm throwing a chaser or uh, I'm feeling real good about myself bet on that game, you're, then you're mistaken. 425, I'm locked in. Let's go. Uh, that, that's a good point, though. Um, last thing for me, I'm going to I'm gonna mention two of the – I'm going to cheat and just mention the two other games because they're simultaneous to me. They make a lot of sense as very similar situations. Two underperforming teams that we thought were going to be very good with quarterbacks who we look really, really highly on in Herbert and Rogers, both three or three and a half point favorites on the road against teams that love to cover and people have been liking to bet on in the Falcons and the Lions. What's going to give? Is it going to be the more talented team with the way better quarterbacks who show up and actually put this team in the ground for the Chargers at the Falcons or the Packers at the Lions? I think there's a chance that both of them take care of business this week. And I am fully 100% committed to being hurt again, because I am going to bet on the Packers this week, 100%. The spread is so disgusting. It stinks so bad. It's like me sitting in this room for two hours doing a podcast when it's 70 degrees in November. That's what it, that's what it feels like, looking at minus three and a half at the Lions with the Packers here. But Aaron Rodgers knows this damn team, bro. He's been crushing them for his entire life. He is still the way better quarterback in the scenario, obviously, and the one positive you can draw from their game last week is that they ran the hell out of the ball. The Lions can't stop the run to save their damn lives. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon have to just dominate this game. I can't even fathom a world where the Lions do something, and that is exactly why if I make this pick and when I make this pick, you should 100% fade me because there's no way it's going to work out. But that's how I feel, so I might just go ahead and do it. Yeah, Pete, I'm not going to lie. You said that both of those games, and the first thing I thought on both of them is take the home dog. Um, (laughs) Smart bet to make, right? But is there a point where there's so many people like the three of us and there's thousands of podcasts in the world and they're talking about gambling on every show now where you know maybe the Chargers and Packers are being undervalued from a a betting standpoint here? Maybe. I, I, I could just be, you know, playing mental gymnastics to, with myself right now and, and completely blowing it. But like, what are we, what are we talking about? The Lions can't stop the run. And the only thing the Packers do good is run the ball right now. Yeah. But that also, um, you know, accounts for you trusting Matt LaFleur. I've almost lost all trust in him. Um, yes. He finally gave the ball to Aaron Jones. Cause I think he realized that they were going to lose by 40 if he didn't eat up as much clock as possible. But, dude, in those losses against the Jets in Washington, Aaron Jones, nine carries, 19 yards, eight carries, 23 yards. And they just totally abandoned the run. And they abandoned the run against the Giants, which they would have won that game if they didn't do that. So I don't trust Matt LaFleur. I don't, I don't trust him. I don't trust yeah. him. He's going to come up with a disciplined game plan to stick to this. And, I mean, look, could Rodgers throw all over Detroit? He could, but they're, 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 just, they're not that good. Their weapons aren't that good. Big Bob Tunyon's not that great anymore in the red zone. He hasn't been. At least they don't throw the ball. 
Lazard's hurt. Is he going to play this weekend? Romeo Dobbs and, and Christian Watson again. Is he going to play? And then Dobbs is hit or miss, and Sammy Watkins feels like he peaked. So, I mean, their most exciting receiver on Sunday night was Samori Torre, the guy who scored the big long touchdown. I don't even know who the fuck he was before the game on Sunday. Now I feel like he's their best wide receiver. So, uh, and Detroit, like, this is like, you know, I know both of them are desperate, but this is like classic, like, Dan Campbell desperation spot right now for the Detroit Lions. Like, do they call him, they gave him the best game of the year and keep this one at a field goal? That's what I'm probably going to be betting on. And then the same thing for Atlanta. They've just been very, very good at covering. LA, you have no idea what the hell you're going to get from Brandon Staley, another guy I don't trust, wore their defense from week to week, and the injuries continue to pile up for them. So you said both those games, and now I want to bet them right now. Oh, God. You just, I, like, <laughs> I want to put them on the pod already. Football's the best. I mean, the Falcons and Chargers are essentially the same team, right? Like the last couple of years, it feels like a team that is talented. This was like before this year, but the Falcons are overachieving. They're just a talented team who just like gives you this roller coaster, kind of like the Vikings. They're all in that category. Everything you've said about why the Packers should lose that game makes me think they're going to win back. I just kept hearing point <laughs> after point, and like they're all good ones. And I'm just like, yeah, the Packers are going to win this game because it just the NFL hasn't made sense all year. So why not? I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a world where I just take the Chargers and Packers money line parlay because I just think they're the two better teams. And eventually we have to get back, you know, regression to the mean a little bit. There's no real rhyme or reason. Just law of averages like how many times in a row can Aaron Rodgers lose right. I guess we'll find out well I can guarantee that sounds like a Mark Shanlugan bet right there Chargers Packers money line plus 105 so proud of it how can it lose and then I don't know what happened well, dude, and I mean, then young way Koo misses hits like a 55 yarder to cover a meaningless spread and then young way just, doesn't fucking miss dude he's the future he's the truth that's what I'm saying. He's going to hit like a 55 yarder <laughs> that has no reason to be played or anything, but that's the way it seems to go for that guy. At least and that's how he says things. Well, dude, I mean, think about that. We're in a very unbelievable like part of the season where Brady and Rogers are like the butt end of so many jokes. And you ask yourself, is Rogers going to lose again? We were asking this past Sunday, is Brady really going to this past Thursday against Baltimore? Is Brady lose going to going to lose again? Is he going to lose to Carolina? Is he going to lose to Pittsburgh? He's lost to a couple of dog shit teams here the last few weeks. It can absolutely happen with Rodgers, especially with how good Detroit's offense has looked. And they're healthy. I know they just gave away Hawkinson, but they've got, uh, you know, Swift and Jamal Williams back running the football. Amandra St. Brown is back after he missed, what, a game and a half for two games. And uh, they got some – I mean, dude, I wish they had Jamison Williams ready to go because the, he'd be ready to take the top off of a lot of defenses. And I think Detroit could actually be – a playoff team next year. Uh, but I think they could be frisky. Like you said, again, on Sunday, man. Yeah. I don't know. Is it like, is it too easy that it's not easy that you have to do it? Or is it so easy that you have to go with the home dog? I don't know. I have till Thursday to figure it out. But if, if we're making the picks right now, I'd 100% be taking Packers minus three and a half. I guess, I guess we'll see what happens come Thursday or Friday, whenever we get to record those picks this week. But uh, guys, this has been just wonderful. Let me just tell you that I, I really enjoyed this episode tremendously. It is now 1220 Wednesday morning. Tuesday is gone. And I appreciate you guys staying up with me and talking about sports. I, I always love it. Always, always do. So Subway Sports Talk, that's all we got for today. Gave you a lot today. NBA, Nets, Steve Nash, some of the players we've been enjoying on the NBA front. Touched on all the deadline stuff and previewed week nine. Week nine already. Can you believe it? 
Dude, you might need it. We might need to chop this bad boy in two. Give people like a little bit of a taste on on Wednesday and give them another taste on Thursday. I might have to. I might have to. It'll be two on YouTube at minimum on the pod. It's full send. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'll figure it out and post. That's what they say. So thank you guys. Pat Boyle, Cody O'Connor. Pat, any plugs? You were on the fan last week overnight for Lakata. Anything coming up this week? Uh, no, just updates. Updates again on Saturday night. So if you're in the car driving around Saturday night, Top of the hour. Patty hey. B. How you doing? Hey, Ben. We got to almost start giving you a word, like a challenge word to mix into one of your updates overnight. Like yes. not even, not even like a bad word, just a, just any word that we have to, you have to figure out a way to get it in. That'd be fun. Uh, Cody, any plugs? No, none at all. Just <laughs> happy to be here, guys. <laughs> Appreciate you having me. It's always fun, fellas. All right. Thank you guys for listening so much. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and Uh, leave a comment on YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Thank you for listening. This has been a great one. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon with our week nine NFL picks with Pete, Pat, and Mark. Cheers.